0: By the way, that, uh, that, that song, do you know the title of that song? You know, you would think so, but that is incorrect. It's called For the Love of Money. It was by the OJs, 1973. Now, some of you would know it more to the theme from The Apprentice. Uh, some of you would not, uh, but some of you would. Uh, and if you're new to fullness, yes, welcome. Today, I'm going to talk about money. You came on that day. When uh, the preacher is going to talk about money, and we've been talking about giving, and I want to summarize, and I want to let you know that there's a summary going on of some of my different teachings on money. I I taught on it the first Sunday on stewardship, and I'm going to kind of put things together in a hopefully not too long fashion. Uh, It is more of a teaching than anything, so hopefully you'll, we, we will together journey on this together. Uh, It says in 2 Corinthians, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, We have looked over the past weeks that that the heart of stewardship is this. The The Bible tells us to be givers. And so at one level we can say, okay, I'm a I I follow the Bible, I have a biblical worldview, so I have to do what the Bible says, therefore I'll be a giver. Uh, And and there's that level that if we do that, and only for that reason, it's just legalism. Just doing it because we're told to do it is is like a child, uh, and we want to move beyond that. The Bible also teaches that there's a moral principle that if we do give, God is going to bless us with more. And so the whole principle of sowing and reaping is true. Both of those things are in the Bible. We give because God commands it. We give because it benefits. There's a certain benefit of sowing and reaping. But God wants us to move beyond that principle too, where it's just about us receiving to an attitude of understanding that Christianity is about relationship. And in relationship, we give out of a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of worship. Those are a much higher level. All of those levels are true. We do give because God says. We do give because we will receive. But if those are the only levels, we're like a 12-year-old who, who is constantly stunted in their growth. And I, I believe there's nothing, in I say nothing, it, it is a sad state when we see people stunted in their growth. Because we know that's not God's intent. God's intent is for us to live a life of thanksgiving and worship before him. And it's not just about our money. We get to give away our words. That's why our tongue should be guarded, because there's the power of life and death and the tongue. It is about our the vision God has placed. We have a vision as a church, as a people, as individuals. And we need to steward that vision. God has entrusted a vision to our care, and we need to Make sure we're following the vision that God has for us. Also, we get to give away our actions. Um, Faith without works, it's dead. And so we need to live out our faith by the way we act. Really, if you think about it, what James is saying is this. If you want to really steward your faith, then you act. Hello? Not in a legalistic standpoint. Don't jump back into... Uh, the first point. But in relationship, if we've received faith, then we will act on that faith. Faith without works is dead. So stewarding our faith results in action. Today, I really do want to come back to this whole aspect of um, money because we are a materialistic society. We love money we love it and as a matter of fact jesus had a lot to say about money because he knows where your treasure is there your heart will be also and so he he, i'm going to look at a teaching today um about money somebody coming to jesus and asking a question and jesus teaching from there but i i want us to begin by just realizing That there's not one person in this room who because we're americans in the 21st century doesn't have a problem with money in the sense of it is the attitude of greed and the attitude of greediness and the attitude of accumulation of wealth and the fact we live in the most prosperous nation that's ever existed at a time when we are the most prosperous has an effect on our hearts whether we want it to or not. We have to acknowledge that. Um, There's an old uh, comedian named Jack Benny, long time ago, I know, he's even before my time, and he used to tell this joke about how a robber came up to him and stuck a gun at him and said, your money or your life? There's this long pause, and the robber goes, hey, what's the problem, what's taking so long? And Jack Benny would say, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. That's the way we are, because we equate resources and money to life. And so I I really want to talk through uh, a couple of principles about resources and then talk about giving versus spending, giving versus spending, as we close out this series on giving away, having a heart of giving. So the, the first point is this. Uh, Possessing is not living. Possessing is not living. You can just write the point down and then we'll jump into it. I'm going to be reading from Luke 12, verses 13 and following. A lot of the verses are in the outline, but I'm not putting every verse from this longer teaching in. Uh, It didn't all get in your notes, so follow along in your Bibles, which I hope you have, or in your iPads or iPhones or whatever uh, you keep your Bible on these days. Uh, Luke 12, 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Here's the setup a guy steps from the crowd and asks Jesus this question about mediating a dispute. Jesus, will you tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me? And Jesus, he, he says to him, I, I'm not your appointed judge. And you may think, well, this sounds a little harsh. I mean, what? why would the guy even think that Jesus is a judge? Or does he recognize the Messiahship of Jesus? Or does he think Jesus is brilliant? Or what, what is going on here? In those days, there weren't always judges, or you couldn't get into court, and you couldn't, Everything's were not Things were not always fair. So at times they would recognize a rabbi or a teacher as someone who spoke with authority and could speak into the life. And so it is not unusual for them to come to a rabbi or teacher and ask them to help mediate a dispute. We do some things like that today where we don't want to take things to court. So at times we have mediation disputes, trying to keep things out of court. This is an old fashioned way of doing this. And Jesus is saying, look, this is not really my time for this. That's not really why I'm here to mediate disputes. Uh, You can imagine if Jesus started down this road, how long that his whole time would be consumed with mediating disputes. But he recognizes that the guy is asking an important question. So he he goes from there. I, I love these times where this happens with Jesus, where the woman at the well asks Jesus, where should we worship? And Jesus says, hey, it's not about a place, it's about the heart. And Jesus gives her this teaching about true worship is spirit and truth. Sometimes people asking questions, they don't get the answer they want, but they get the answer they need. And it's that way in this question. So Jesus goes on and says to them, the whole crowd, based on the guy's question, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You know, we should all, as Americans, highlight this verse, underline this verse, come back to this verse, probably memorize this verse. Your life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. It is a simple, hard truth that it doesn't. He says, watch out against greed. The word greed there is the the word that is many times translated covetousness. You know, there's one thing to be greedy, but we know that it's right there in the Ten Commandments. Don't covet. We know, but that's the heart that at times we grab a hold of. Because if we have this philosophy that, that my life only has meaning if I drive this car or live in this house or have this bank account or have this retirement fund, or am able to leave an inheritance of money for my children, if that's our definition of life, covetousness and greed is on the doorstep. They can't be avoided because we think, I've got to get because it gives my life meaning. Benjamin Franklin said this, Money never made a man happy yet, nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of its filling a vacuum, it makes one. If it satisfies one want, it doubles and triples that want another way. Those are powerful words from well over 200 years ago. How well we would do to listen to those words today. We are not. It, it is like drinking salt water. It will never satisfy us. Solomon in Ecclesiastes 2, and I just would ask you to write these, this chapter down. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11. Solomon was, by most accounts, the richest man who ever lived. He's the wisest man who ever lived. He, he, he was pos- uniquely positioned to pursue money as a means of finding satisfaction, more than you or I would. And so it would do us well to listen to the words of Solomon who says it is all meaningless, meaning that money, power, sex, um, political prestige, all the things Solomon was uniquely positioned to pursue and did pursue with everything that he had brought him no meaning. Why? Because ultimately, l- l- possessing gives us no meaning in life. The more you have, the more you'll want. How much is enough? As a rich man was asked, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. There is no satisfaction to it. Here's the, uh, here's the second part. As a result, we need to guard our hearts. Guard your heart. I'm going to keep reading from this parable from Luke. And he told them this parable. So Jesus, he recognizes, he makes a moral statement about life not possessing, and then he illustrates it by giving this parable that you're, I'm sure, familiar with. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. Now, this guy is already rich, right? I mean, recognize it. this is not a poor man suddenly getting a crop. This is a rich man getting even more. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he... Sorry, I skipped. I was a little too fast. (laughs) I'm a mess here. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear, tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I'll say to myself... You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Jesus tells this story. On one hand, as we look at the story, you may be thinking, okay, here's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to teach against the sinfulness of greed, which I do think is true at one level. But rather, I really think he's teaching about the futility of greed. This is a futile thing to try and store this up. There is a sinful aspect to it, but it's just a worthless, worthless endeavor. And he's, and I think he's saying to us, guard your heart, because when this guy uh, says in Luke 12:19, "And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry," he is basically speaking to his heart and saying, "Look, now I've got it made. I can do nothing." Just a couple of verses later where Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This guy's heart is cancered with greed. And it has become this aspect. People, please, what I'm encouraging us to do is guard our heart. Because for many people, me even talking about, I'm going to preach about money today, suddenly something rose up within them. Uh, it happens all the time. Whenever you talk about money, money comes between friends. Money comes between, I, I mean, I've got stories I could tell you about how money has destroyed relationships. I mean, think about how stupid that is, about how money has destroyed relationships. Why? Because it, it kills our heart. It just eats us up, and we need to guard our hearts I mean, I could have come in with a stack of newspaper reportings over the past five years of churches who have fought over property, uh, fought over land, fought over resources, fought over, to the point that next to, next to sexual sin permeating the church, I think the thing that brings us down in the side of the world is our own greediness within the body of Christ. And to... To stay away from it, we have to constantly be on guard with our hearts. Which leads me to the last point, which is this. Not the last point. The last point before I get to the last two points, uh, which is this. And I got like ten sub-points under them, so we're going to have to go fast. Which is this. God owns it all. I'm coming back to this very principle that God is the owner of everything. See, the futility of greed is this. You can accumulate all that you Well, think you found meaning in life, but on the day you die, you get to take none of it with you. As a result, we have to view this, somebody else owns this, I'm just a temporary steward of this. And truthfully, we say, and the Bible teaches, God owns it all. Going back to Luke 12 again, God said to him, you fool, this very night, and by the way, I don't think God saying to you, you fool, is ever a good statement. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Then Jesus said to his disciples, now Jesus is turning. He's been addressing the the man, the crowd, and now he's addressing those who are his followers. Because he knows this is going to be a problem. It's always been a problem. It will continue to be a problem. He says, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many worried about your food or what you would wear today? In some sense, Jesus isn't saying, don't worry about what you'll eat. Most of our worries are not about whether I'm going to get food or whether I have clothes. Most of them are about what food I'm going to eat or the miracle that's a hundred dresses in your closet and you saying, I have nothing to wear. Um, That that, uh, miraculous statement, which I've occasionally heard at my house as well. He goes on and says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Then he goes on and closes in this passage by saying, for the pagan world runs around after all such things, and your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom first, and these things will be given to you as well. When you get this stewardship mind that God is the one who owns it all, it will change the way you live life. I mean, how many of us are consumed with worry and anxiety this week? Now, some of us have things to worry about, but ultimately that worry is never going to help resolve the issue. I believe that in a kingdom mindset, we bring it to the Lord. We bring it to God because he owns it all. And if indeed we believe God is our father and he is a good, good father, as we've sung over the years, then he will... He'll he'll meet our needs. God owns it all. Where does this come back down to money? I want to give some practical principles just in closing. Jesus has provided this. Life and possessing are not the same thing. We need to guard our heart because God owns it all. We're his stewards. But what does that say to us in this society? Well, it, it talks about this. We have to be on guard because spending is easy. Spending is easy. You know, making money is hard. Spending it is easy. And it's really easy in the American society. Why? Because we can borrow. We don't even got to make it anymore. We can go to someone who will give us the money. Let me talk about borrowing just for a minute. This is why I believe spending is so easy in our society. It's easy because when we, we can borrow... And when we borrow, when we borrow, we're selling our future. We're selling our future. Sir John Templeton said this. He's a prominent mutual fund manager, for those who don't know. We live in a credit card economy and an advertising culture that advises us to buy now and pay later. At best, this is a dubious proposition. The underlying philosophy, and it's a dangerous one is that we accept gratification before we've earned it we are self gratifying and immediate gratifying kinda people we want what we want and we want it now and we're not gonna take the time to earn it and then buy it we're gonna borrow and just if you watch television today let's say you're watching a sporting event for some reason watch How many times they're telling you that you can have this car with nothing down, all these payments for the rest of your life, or better yet, no money down, and we won't even sell you the car. We'll just fleece you the car. I mean, it's just this attitude that goes on. We don't have to earn what we then get, and and debt is over us. It is overwhelming us. Romans, by the way, says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Let no debt remain outstanding. If you've got a debt, pay it off. Simple. Uh, uh, It's not that simple. Why is this important? Because if you're in debt, you've sold your future. You've bought today. Rather than earning the money to purchase behind, you've purchased ahead. And so you've sold. You're not, you're not as the second point says, you're not free. You've sold your freedom because you've sold your future. You can't do things because you have, you have to. I have to make this money in order to pay off the debt that's why Proverbs says the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender whether the lender is the bank or an individual you are serving them you are no longer free to make your own decisions Our personal debt has, I think, exceeded $10 trillion in America. 80% of Americans owe more than they own. In other words, they're upside down, which is the very definition of debt. See, if I could, let's say I borrowed from my house, which I I still own my house. I'll I'll tell you that I still do, but it, it is the only debt Kathy and I have at this point is our house debt. But if I were to sell my house and all my possessions, I would still be on the plus side. I I would still have more money than what I owe. 80% of Americans cannot say that. If they sold every single thing they had, they would still owe money, because between house debt, property debt, between college debt, between auto debt, and credit card debt, we are, 80% 80% of Americans are upside down. When you sell your freedom, you end up question, asking questions like, should I pay off my debt or should I give to God? I've heard more than once, even in this church, among great, awesome people, I would love to give to God, but my debt is killing me. Why? Because when we borrowed, we've sold our future and we've sold our freedom. And when we borrow, this last statement is this, we are selling our chance to live by faith. Now that may be a little harsh, but there's an element that if you're not careful... Borrowing can delay the search for real meaning in life. If we're gratifying immediately this need for possession, then what happens is we don't have to live by faith. I can just go borrow and get what I need. Rather than seeing, is God going to provide, I can now step out onto my own strength and borrow the money in order for it to happen. We forfeit chance to live by faith grow by faith and if we're not careful sometimes even our faith itself so spending is easy here's my final point i'm there giving is a gift giving is a gift let me just rattle off these things giving is essential to life into the life of any believer i believe because it pleases god he's already told us that We are to be good stewards of what he's given us. We've talked about that. It is, as all of us, we can accomplish an enormous amount of good for the kingdom of God. We have opportunities to give to God's kingdom. And really, one of the reasons giving is such a gift is because it is is the only thing that will help us fight the battle for our hearts against materialism. Whenever you give, it gives you the opportunity to battle that materialistic spirit that's at work within you. And I believe that most of us want to give to God, but we're stuck in some position of debt, um, of a job loss, a tug of war, and our hearts are priorities. Let's say you're a, let's say you're a church planter. And you've just, you've been going around planting new churches. And there comes this time where there's this church that you really, really love, that's been a blessing to you. And you're going to go back and visit this church. And you're thinking, you know what, this is is probably the last time in my entire life that I'm going to see this church. I will probably die before I get to visit this church again. And so you gather the elders of the church around you, and you begin to talk to them about what is really important. What, what is the list of things that come to your mind that you want your last shot to be with this group of elders before you leave them and never have the opportunity to talk to them again? In Acts 20, we actually get to see this played out. Paul gets with the elders from Ephesus, the Ephesian church. He gathers them together, and here's what he says in Acts 20, verses 35. These are the last words of Paul to the Ephesian church that we have recorded. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, It is more blessed to give than to receive. It goes on and says, when he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, they wept, they kissed, and he left. These are the words that he left with them. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, you know what? We have no idea when Jesus said this because it's not really recorded in the Gospels, but there are a lot of words that Jesus said that aren't recorded in the Gospels. John even says, if, we try to write down everything he did and said, there's not going to be enough volumes to fill it. Nonetheless, this is what Paul wants to leave with the church. His last saying is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Here's the question. If it's more blessed to give than to receive, how blessed do you want to be? How blessed do you want to be in your life? Tithing... You know, it, this this whole discussion drives me crazy at times. And I'll tell you why. The tithing is this Old Testament principle where God says to the people, give me 10%. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a principle, it, it's a command. It's a legalistic command. And, and, and we see it, we see it even talked about in Malachi where the prophet says, well, a man robbed God, yet you robbed me. This is God speaking. But you ask. How do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Again, he's, they're robbing God because he's commanded, give this 10%. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out as much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Jesus in Luke. I'm going to come back to that passage that I evidently didn't put the Luke passage. Jesus says given it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. for with the measure you use it will be measured unto you. Let me say it like this. The Old Testament commands that to, we're to give a tithe. The, the nation of Israel was to give a tithe, 10%. So we transfer this into the New Testament church and say, okay, Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be tithing. And I would say we are under a gospel of grace, not a gospel of law. But that doesn't mean that I don't give. 10, I think 10% is a great amount. I, I think it's God wouldn't have said give 10% if there was something meaningless about it. But under the law of grace, I shouldn't be asking, do I have to give 10%? I should be asking, how much more do I get to give? Now, you may think it's manipulative on my part to say to you, give to the church more than 10%. Well, if if there's this command that I live by a 10% in the Old Testament, how much more because of what Jesus has done and I receive that gift of grace in my life should I be pouring out? Jesus said a kingdom citizen is called to a higher standard. You've heard it said don't kill. I say if you want to kill someone. I mean, the gospel of grace is not a lesser, it's a greater. It is a greater, and we should say, I I want it. God, I'm going to give. Again, here's where the prosperity doctrine goes wacko. It goes wacko because it says, yes, all of these things are true, but why am I going to I want to be blessed, but in the blessing, is it because I'm going to get more money back? Could be. But that's not really the blessing. The blessing is that I get to see the kingdom of God expand. The blessing is that my heart gets free from this materialistic spirit that's just choking the life out of me. The the blessing of giving is so multifaceted. And we get stuck over here saying, okay, do I have to give 10% on the, you know, I know it says 10%. I have to give 10%, but is it on the net or the gross? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Do I have to? Listen, be a giver. Just resolve in your heart today, I'm going to give. I'm going to give, and I believe it's a biblical principle, I'm going to give to the local body that I'm a part The average church member, and I'm not talking about our church member, I really don't know. I try not to look at numbers. I actually try not to look at what individuals within this church give. Because I, I, I don't want to say that Craig, I'm picking on Craig, but Craig or anyone, I, I'm going to treat him differently because he gives more or less. Do you understand? As a pastor, I just want to pastor people and love them, and money got, is in my heart as well. I confess it outright. I mean, there are times I know, I know, I know, I know that there's someone in our church who's not giving anything to the work of the church. Somehow I just kind of, and then they start complaining about the things we should be doing. And I want to say, you know what, Bucko? If you would step up and give a little bit, then there's some things we could do. You know what? They, there's this demand. I want more for my children. I want, a better, I want a better classroom. I want a better fellowship hall. Well, who do you think is, where do you think that happens? It just drops out of the sky? This new fellowship hall appears? That's why I don't look and see why people give because I don't have that sermon from three weeks ago, my tongue thing quite under control yet. Thank you. I'm trying though. I'm trying. But what I want to say is this. We, we want to be a giving people. We want to give to the life and the work. Why? Because giving is a confession of the gospel. You might say, wait wait, wait a minute, I thought a confession of the gospel was when I spoke the gospel. Paul, in Corinthians, he says, because of the service by which you have, have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else what is this confession of the gospel he's talking about the fact that the corinthian church gave freely of their resources giving can be a confession an agreement with god that the good news is true why because when people see us giving they say wow there is something different about them what is so different Hopefully, it will drive them to a place to say, Jesus is indeed. And it will testify to them that we are good stewards. Here's the question. What are we confessing? Hello? What are we confessing? Let me just give you some stats. These are the latest I could find on um, some of these. They're, some of these are a couple of years old, but they kind of blend together. Recently, about three years ago, Americans gave 2.9 billion to overseas missions. By the way, that number is dropping, not increasing. Uh, unfortunately, it's going down. And we want to be a church that gives to overseas missions here. but Americans as a whole gave 2.9 billion. Now that sounds like a lot of money, does it not? 2.9 billion, until you realize that Americans also gave 8.9 billion to see movies. We gave $13 billion to buy chocolate. I might be able to understand part of that one. But we gave $23 billion to buy toys. $23 billion to buy stuff for our pets. I'm going to get worked up here in just a minute. $24 billion for jewelry. $58 billion for soft drinks. $85 billion for lawn and garden care. And 354 billion to eat out at restaurants. Here's my question: what are we confessing? What are we confessing? We are confessing, and let's just be gut level honest. it's all about me. It's all about me. That's what we're confessing. Second, giving is an, giving is an act of trust. Trust. Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope or trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. goes on and says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. Again, this goes back to the past sermons, and I don't want to get too bogged down here. Uh, in the same way, they will lay up for themselves treasure and for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. If life is not in possessing, where is life? Life is putting our trust in God, and giving is an act of trust. It's an act of trust. Ecclesiastes, and I'm closing down here soon. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This, too, is meaningless. We have to get to a place where we trust God more than money. And one of the ways we do that is by, give, by becoming a giving people. Giving is an offering to God. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Philippians four eighteen. I have received full payment, and even more I amply supplied. Now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Look, when we do this, and we're going to do it in just a minute, we're going to take up an offering, not because I'm trying to manipulate you toward that point, but to say offering time is an act of worship when we give 10 percent or whatever we give back to the lord it's it's saying god this this there's a latin phrase pars pro toto which has nothing to do with the dog from the wizard of oz rather it says and some of you said it or thought it already i know you but it means this part represents the whole this little bit represents all of me when we get back to God, we're making a confession of the gospel that, that we trust you, God. We, we offer this to you as an act, an act of worship. Last thing, giving is the best spending. Giving is the best spending. Why do we save? Why do we desire financial health? actually the bible teaches we do it in order to be able to give more former president jimmy carter um, he was president before probably i don't know 75% of this of you in this room were born um 19 what 80 this one carter was no longer i mean he's been a, he's been a past president for 38 years And he spent almost this entire time investing in helping those who are poor. He said this. Somebody asked him about the greatest obstacles facing Americans in the future. And he said this. The greatest challenge we face in the millennium, and he said it right before the change of the millennium, is the growing chasm between the richest people on earth and the poorest people on earth. His studies show that the 20th century began with the richest nations of the world. Listen to this. At the beginning of 1900, the richest nations on the world versus the poorest, the richest were nine times richer than the poorest. Nine times richer. Now, that sounds incredible. But by the year 2000, the richest countries were 65 times richer than the poorest. The chasm between the haves and the have-nots is not shrinking, it is growing. And we, according to his studies, we as Americans, not just Christians, but as Americans, we give less than 1% of our gross national product to people in need. Someone once said, "All, all people can afford to give anymore is advice. Why? Because we've mortgaged our future, going back to the earlier points. John Wesley said this, Make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. We need to be a giving people. Let me close with this verse. You will be made rich in every way so that you can what? Build a bigger dadgum house. Get a bigger car. Get a bigger 401k. Have a bigger bank account. I'm not talking about wisdom or lack of wisdom here managing. I'm talking about a philosophy for why you receive. You receive and are made rich so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's what I want to encourage us to do as a people. I... I, I don't think I can preach this sermon without preaching the first sermon I did in this series because if we're not careful, we will end up, you'll end up being guilted into something. And, and again, that is so far from my goal because I don't want legalism or even moralism to be the two driving forces of your life, but rather relationship with God. To say, God, you know what? I love you more than anything, including this money, this car, this house, I love you more than anything. Break off that materialistic spirit in my heart. How does that happen? By giving. When I open-handedly am generous with people, it crushes that, I gotta have, I gotta have, I gotta have. Give, expecting nothing in return. In, in the gift of giving, there's this Greek word haplotes, And it, 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 is a, it is a word that means like a cloth unfolded. You know, if you were to fold up a cloth, you could hide anything in the folds of the cloth. So sometimes when people give, it's like giving a folded cloth. And in the folds are these intentions. This, this okay, I'm giving to you, but here's what I expect in return. Giving with strings attached, as we would say. God says, give as a cloth unfolded. Everything is revealed. There are no strings. We just give. And you know what? When God sees that, he will begin to bless. Why? So that you can now actually buy the house you want. Again, we keep looping back around. It's, even in the prosperity doctrine, that's the heart of it is greed, not giving. We need to be a giving people. And I want to encourage you, we can do this together to understand that stewardship is lordship and we can be a loving, giving, free-handed, open-handed people with each other. I I, I know stories. I know stories of what some of you have done for others in this church. I wish I had the freedom to share, to say God is a giving God and through the people of God, there are things happening, even in this congregation, I want to commend you, uh, because some of you are giving unbelievably, and it is awesome, and maybe in time, God will release us to share the stories. But that's part of the gift of giving. So much of it happens because people don't want the attention. They understand, if, I, if somebody knows, then I'm now getting the glory, and that's not the point. Just keep being an open-handed people, loving people, giving people. And let me tell you this. When you get scorched because you gave to someone and something bad happened in return, don't stop. It will happen. It will happen because that's the way the enemy works. But keep giving, loving, serving, and God will honor. Lord, we thank you this morning that we get an opportunity to always be a giving people. Lord, I pray that you would change our hearts, change our minds, change our attitudes. Lord, we acknowledge that that we live in an incredibly materialistic society that is constantly trying to get us to just get more. And I pray, Lord, we would receive the truth that possessing is not living. That, God, our hearts can be turned toward you and be soft before you because you own it all. Lord, may we learn to be a giving people. So Lord, right now, as we come to a time of giving, I pray that God, this will be a confession of the gospel. This will be a confession, an act of worship and thanksgiving, and that God, you would, you would bless this time. Lord, we thank you. We love you. Change our heart, oh God. Change our heart, in Jesus' name, Amen.